0: Everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls. Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, I've got another great interview for you today. We're going to be talking with Chad Marlowe from the ACLU. And uh, as often is the case when I'm doing my research for the news shows, um, looking through articles and finding inter- interesting things to pass along to you folks. And uh, I came across this article uh, where Chad was quoted. And it was about a new program uh, in being trialed in states like Louisiana for replacing your driver's license with a an app an app that you run on your phone and i say replacing but that's it hasn't happened yet they still require you to carry your physical license but they're trialing this as uh, i guess in the future as something that would basically replace your driver's licenses they've done the studies and you know the vast majority of people today have a smartphone especially younger kids uh I call them kids people 30 and under uh almost everyone uh, in that age group that cohort has um has a smartphone, has a smart device, and so you know, it's just one less thing to carry. Uh, though, as well as we'll hear from Chad, he doesn't really buy that argument. Um, and there's, you know, it's one of those things as he says, it's a uh, it's a solution in search of a problem. So it, it's it's a fascinating interview, and there's lots of aspects to this that you're probably not thinking about, though. I'm sure that anybody on this show uh, has been with me long enough knows that there's going to be a privacy angle to this, but there's even more to it than that. It's, it's really quite complicated. And we'll just talk about identity in general as we you know, go into the modern age, you know, proving who you are uh, without giving away too much information is really, it's a tricky business. So uh, anyway, without further ado, let's uh, hear it from the man himself. Let's talk to Chad Marlow from the ACLU. <laughs> Joining me today is Chad Marlowe. Chad's a Senior Advocacy and Privacy Counsel at the ACLU, where he principally focuses on privacy, surveillance, and technology issues. His work has covered issues ranging from net neutrality and police body cameras to government surveillance and consumer privacy. Perfect for this show. Welcome, Chad. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Okay, so uh, today we're going to talk about some t- a topic that is uh, simultaneously boring and critical, uh, and that is identity. And that is something that you know, we've struggled with in the, in, in the recent digital age. I mean, for years and years, it's always about show your papers of some sort, you know, passport, ID, uh, driver's license, that kind of thing. But we've got so many, you know, competing new digital technologies. Everybody thinks that making things digital makes them better, just like our voting, right? I mean, <laughs> um, so let me, let me set this up a little bit by reading an article. And this is where I found you, your name in the first place. So it, um, uh, it was an article in Stateline from Pew, uh, and it talks about this new digital ID. So let me just read a little bit here, and we'll, and we'll dive in. Millions of people may be able to show their smartphones rather than a plastic card to prove they're legit to drive, vote, or buy a beer in coming years. Louisiana in July became the first state to make digital licenses available to anyone who wants them, and then at least 14 other states either have developed a program, run a pilot, or are studying the possibility, according to the American Association of, Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. 77% of American adults already own a smartphone, including 94% of adults under 30, and many state motor vehicle officials think residents will appreciate the convenience of having their driver's license available in an app. Officials also like let uh, the licenses are connected to a central database and may be updated easily with, for example, suspensions and revocations. And unlike plastic cars that can easily be counterfeited or tampered with, mobile licenses are less susceptible to fraud, they say. But as is often the case with something analog goes digital, privacy advocates worry about the potential for government overreach and fear digital licenses and motor vehicle databases will become vulnerable to hackers. So that opens up a lot of questions, which is why we're here. So Talk to me a little bit about this. What this program is? How do, how does this function? Like, give me some scenarios. How does this work? Like, when I want to, is the, what scenarios do I be providing this, and how does that work?
1: Right. Well, well, well. First, let me just say, just just at the outset, because I think it's helpful, is this sure does feel a lot like a, a solution in search of a problem. Hmm. Um, I, I, you know. I've been uh, I've been driving for, I guess, I don't know what, 25, 30 years, whatever it is. Um, I, I Neither myself nor anyone I ever know has ever kind of sat me down and talked to me at length about the incredible burdens <laughs> of to carry a driver's license with you. The only, the only people I've ever heard complain about a driver's license requirement is people under 21 trying to buy. Beer. Other than that, I've never heard anyone complain about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, interesting, interesting, you know, in and of itself so so in so interestingly in so in Louisiana where they' where they've, where they've uh, they they have the um, uh, I guess the infamous moniker being the first in the nation to adopt this mm. um, interestingly to even set it up you have to have a plastic driver's license <laughs> right uh, so so this isn't this isn't a replacement for plastic driver's licenses yet uh, although one could certainly see it going in that direction uh, but you know the idea is you get your driver's license, uh you, you scan it in um and then you know with only paying a whatever I think five or six dollar fee mm-hmm. uh to the company that runs this uh now you have a duplicate of your driver's license. Uh, stored on your phone. Uh, Of course, that's not exactly what it is, right? It's not exactly a duplicate of your driver's license because unlike your ordinary driver's license, in order to be able to get this driver's license, you need to actually communicate uh, to the state DMV in order for it to pull up your information. It also has the ability of storing a lot more personal information, which someone scanning your license can ask for, than is contained on your driver's license. Hmm. It also, you know, if you're relying on it, Um, I would, for example, urge you greatly not to have your cell phone run out of power Hmm. or your be in trouble. I think if you run out of power, your driver's license, your plastic one, still works. <laughs> I also think that if you decide to, if you're from Louisiana and say you want to take a nice, uh, you know, summer vacation to escape the heat to uh, rural Montana or even Boy, Boy, Alaska, um, I'd be worried about uh, connections to for phones. If anyone's ever driven in those areas, sometimes you can't get cell phone reception. You better not get pulled over by a cop right now. You have no driver's license. Again, as best as I understand the technology, the plastic driver licenses don't require any sort of cellular <laughs> connection to work. Um, Not yet. <laughs> so, and, and again, also, you know, they talk about, um, you know, being, th- these licenses are great because they can be updated all the time, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, wonderful, uh, I guess, if, if, you know, you have a driver's license suspension to be able to update that information. But of course, um, the fact that it's being updated and that you're allowing updates, you know, people who understand the technology sphere very well understand that when phones allow apps to do, make. Updates to them automatically that creates a vulnerability in your phone, hmm. uh, and so uh, so there you have it for for only you know five ninety nine or six ninety nine I can't remember which one five ninety nine I think five ninety nine uh, in Louisiana you can have an alternate uh, uh, driver's license uh, that will not work when the power goes out, not work in rural areas, uh, will expose your phone to vulnerabilities, capture more information about you than your current plastic license, which would create all sorts of privacy violations. And if a cop pulls you over and asks for it and you hand over your phone, now they have access to your entire phone. Um, so there's that. But the, I guess <laughs> the good side is you don't have to carry that incredibly burdensome plastic.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. and the- often that is an interesting and all these there were other programs mentioned, I think, in like Colorado, Delaware, Maryland, Wyoming or some other states, and then obviously there must be others. They said sixteen. Um that all these cases I think that they're still requiring the plastic. I'm sure that's probably during a transition period. I, I would assume that they're hoping that someday that we can replace the plastic license. But yes, all those issues that and we will we'll dive into some of those for sure. So certainly
1: the way that Louisiana is selling it is to say, look how great this is, you know, for, for people who, you know, may not remember the their plastic license, they always carry their phone. So you'll have this. So at least they're they're selling it uh, as a substitute, not not an additional additional item. So I, I think they're pretty clearly suggesting that people can go in that direction.
0: So in reading the article and, and related articles, I did see that so far at least Louisiana is saying that they're they're recognizing the potential privacy or even liability aspects of taking somebody's phone back to the squad car with them like what if they crack the screen right you know, who, who pays for that um, but you know more importantly I think from a privacy perspective is you know there are ways still to hack phones with you know little boxes that are, that are sold by companies whose job it is to hack smartphones, to download a bunch of data. And so I think they're currently saying that they're not doing that. But I mean, you know, that's purely their own choice for doing this, right? There's obviously that's fraught with issues. uh, Whenever you surrender a a smart device to law enforcement.
1: So so let's take that in a different context that I think people can understand more, right? I'm sure the Louisiana uh, police in the state of Louisiana, like all police, uh, generally have a policy that they won't Uh, Jimmy and barge into the trunk of your car when they suspect you doing something wrong without a warrant, principally because it's, it would be a constitutional (laughs) violation and it's illegal. Right. Uh, But that's not to say they're not going to try to get access to your trunk. If they suspect something, right. They'll say, can I look in your trunk? No. Are you sure? No well, you know, listen, this could go a lot worse for you if I have to get a warrant and bring down some other... Are you sure I can't look in your trunk? So, and and that's what they do. And and listen, we're not going to fault police for, for engaging in kind of... You know, ordinary, if they're allowed to ask for permission, they can try to ask for it several times. So, you know, if a, so so, I think if a police pull someone over for going five miles an hour over the speed limit, are they going to try to access their phone? No. However, if they suspect that they're a drug dealer are they and, and there may be valuable information on that phone, are they really not going to try to get access to it when they ask for I.D.? You know, can I see your, your license? I'm using a digital the digital driver's license. Fine. Can I see it? Actually, can I have your phone? No, officer. I'd like to keep it. It would be, you know, what I'm having a hard time seeing. It would be far easier if you gave me the phone. No, officer. I'd really like to see it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to give me your phone, but. This can go one of two ways right now, and so finally the person says, "You know what? I don't want to get in worse trouble. I'm just going to give the officer my phone." And the officer ends up either scrolling through through the phone, or if it's locked, they take it back to have a Celebrite machine, yep. which is a machine you can hook up and you can download the contents off of someone's phone back in their cars. And a lot of police cars are starting to get that that technology. And so, so yeah, they can say that it is it is not our policy uh, to take your cell phone, but at the same time, it is very much their policy. Uh, to gather evidence on suspected criminals. So, so when those two things come, in, c- come into conflict, uh, where are the police going to go? And I think, you know, certainly there are a multitude of instances in which police will focus more on gathering evidence on a suspected criminal than on protecting a suspected criminal's privacy.
0: Yeah, and we actually talked with uh, Adam Schwartz from the EFF about this uh, at length uh, maybe a year ago uh, about border searches of of digital devices, and that's even thornier because the the yes. CBP has given a lot more leeway uh, in those regards. But it was a lot of the same kind of issues where you know do you you know would you open your device? Uh, I'd really not, not prefer to uh, you know, but they give you the same kind of line where. You know, well, we could be here for a few hours. I could confiscate your device, or you know, or you could just open Besides. your device,
1: or you can stay the neck me- You can stay in Mexico for the next three years,
0: <laughs> right? You know, and that gets thorny. It, it, has there been any? And it's been a while since I've talked to them about this. So, there been any legal movement on that? Is it, has, have we refined? You know, warrantless searches on smart devices—any in the last year or so?
1: Well, I, I would say that the ACLU has quite a few uh, uh, lawsuits that are ongoing with, with respect to not only not only searches of devices, uh, you know, at the border. And again, remember, you know, when when people say the border, everyone typically thinks you know M- Mexico and Canada. But anytime you're flying an international flight and you arrive at any place in the U.S., you're at a border, right. uh, uh, technically speaking. So it's not just accessing them, but it's also seizure of devices. Uh, has been a problem where the device will be seized and kept for a year or more. Um, so, uh, so uh, you know, uh, anytime the ECLU files a lawsuit, it feels a lot like progress because that's, that's how in certain areas we make our progress. So, um, But, you know, in terms of those, those cases, you know, finalizing out and getting better guidance, uh, a lot of them are still in the pipeline.
0: So one of the things that one of the key parts of this for me is the fact that this is another case of a, of a government private partnership where it's not this is not a government written software. This is not a run by government agency. This is there are third parties providing this. And that to me brings in all sorts of other questions here. Um, for example, one of the things the article talked about was that the the, the app maker um, said that we do not track location. How, how would you? I would. How would we know that they ever change? I mean, they could just change their mind, right? right? It's a, They're just doing uh, that. They're saying that com- now, but
1: uh, comma now,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, the other thing is they say that we, you know, this this data is protected. It's um, we're not going to be using this for anything. But then when a lot of companies say that what they really mean is we are trying to de-de-identify this data or anonymize this data or aggregate this data meaning that it that it, we can't trace it back to a human but in many cases that's not the, that that's not true there's there are there are ways to take quote-unquote anonymized data and you know, de-anonymize it um so do we know what what's happening with the data that's being collected off these devices like
1: well, well first let, let me let me highlight something for for all your listeners there was a front page article in the New York Times yesterday yep. Yep. Uh, about location tracking through cell phones uh, that, that's, that's more terrifying than, than uh, the It horror movie. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's absolutely ter- – so if people believe that uh, location tracking data is de-identifiable, uh, they're wrong. Um, a, the, the more specific the information is, the easier it is to identify people. And so I would encourage people uh, to, to, to look for that. Uh, they can, I think they can just Google search New York Times digital privacy and they'll find it uh, or location tracking. Uh, but but it's, it's a very helpful article to explode the myth that, uh, that sharing de-identified location tracking information protects privacy. It, it does not. Um, and so, so you know, in terms of the of the data that they're storing, I mean, again, the, you know, the one these companies are not, neither the companies nor the state are being completely forthcoming in what data that they are currently collecting, how they're storing it. Uh, and you know what kind of the malleability of the application is in terms of wanting to expand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can certainly imagine, for example, a case where uh, again, we don't know, we don't, you know, if they want to forward us the code. And again, even if they forward us the code, we would only know what the app was doing right now. They could then change the code the next day, right. or they change it, send it to us, and change it back. Um, but one can imagine a case where uh, the police, you know, are interested in let's call them, uh, let's call uh, that person suspect X, right? So, so uh, the the police are interested in suspect X, and the first thing they do, uh, you know, in Louisiana now is say, does this person have a digital driver's license? Because if they do, ooh yeah, are we set? And if they do, then perhaps they can then turn on location tracking in that application. They mm. may not use this generally, but it may be a function that can be turned on. Or they can go into the digital driver's license and you know attempt to get pinged anytime the person uses it to identify where they are. Because again, you know, if you need to use the app to connect up to a DMV server, you're gonna have to connect to a cell tower. Perhaps they can say, alert us if, if this app pings a cell tower so we can locate this person. Yeah. Um, even if they're not using, you know, more typical location tracking, uh, uh, you know, in terms of like GPS location tracking. So uh, so I think that's an issue. But also, um, you know, I think that, you know, when you have one-stop shops for uh, identifying people, uh, it can lead to a very slippery slope. But, and I know that kind of one uh, subject that, that we kind of broached offline, but we can bring it up now as a good example, is the social security number. Yep. Originally developed... Literally to be what it describes—an ID for your Social Security—and and we know that nowadays that is that is morphed into an ID that tracks you in in all sorts of your life—not not only with the government uh, but with 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 private entities. A lot of us our um, quote unquote employee ID number is our Social Security number with the okay. private employer, and so it's used everywhere. And so one can imagine that the digital driver's license could end up turning into a repository for all sorts of information. And you can imagine, you know, the slippery slopes starts in a kind of a benign way. So, for example, someone says, you know what would be a great thing to have on that driver's license? Your blood type hmm. and any any allergies you have. So let's put some medical information on it that might might be sensitive, might be not. Maybe we also want to know your prescriptions in case you come in unconscious and we want to know if there might be some sort of, you know, conflict yeah. between what we might give you and what we not, might not give you. And, and so now you have that sort of going and then they'll roll out the convenience train, right? They'll be like, <laughs> no, it would also be great. Like what if you could buy your Starbucks latte using your state driver's license? Wouldn't that be great? We can attach a credit card to it. The same one that you used to give us the 699 for the license. And you can go in and you can use your driver's license the way you'd use a credit card. Well, that's great. And then, you know, you, you end up going that way and, and, and soon enough, you have a huge amount of data connected to your driver's license, and then it leads to the question, well, then, who can access it? Both yep. legitimately, you know, who is the government sharing it with internally? You know, is the Department of Transportation or the DMV sharing it with law enforcement? Is law enforcement sharing it with ICE in case you're an undocumented immigrant? Or if they can, you know, look at your name and say there's an 87% chance that this person is from the Middle East or Muslim yeah. sharing with DHS um, and what private companies are they sharing it with so they can track you and market to you and, and and pigeonhole you you know you go for a loan suddenly you don't get it and it turns out that it was because you had two speeding tickets on your driver's <laughs> license that they've connected up so so I think that, that that's what you really need to be be concerned about is that you know this one stop shop digital ID can turn into far more than it is when it's originally rolled out like the social security number did.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that was another question I had for you. Is you know, this, the business model of because they didn't charge the, this company. I think it's called EnVoc, E N V O C. Didn't charge Louisiana anything for the system, according to the article, and they make their money off these activation fees, these six dollar activation fees. Um, that that seems like there's. I don't know potential conflict of interest. I remember there was, there was a similar case uh, with traffic light cameras uh, in Texas. I think it was where they 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 went to you know some big city. Maybe it was Dallas. I don't know what. It was
1: actually they, It was actually automatic license plate readers in a company called Vigilant in in, in Texas. Yeah, and what they were going to do there was, yeah, not charge them for it, but Vigilant would get access to the data. They would then run it against uh, against you know, municipal and court databases to see if the person owned a fine a fine or a fee. Typically, this person's going to be poor because if you're wealthy and you owe a $30 fine, you pay it. Um, but, uh, and then the police would be notified, would pull that person over, would demand payment through a debit card on the spot with an additional $30 tacked on to go to Vigilant. Right. Uh, yeah, so so it's a model that's been used elsewhere for sure.
0: Yeah, so that that certainly that certainly seems to have some issues. Um, um, okay, so the article also said, um, I thought this was interesting, and, I, and this is something I think from a devil's advocate point of view, uh, I, I find fascinating. And, and, and all this, all these technologies do have potential, and, and that's the problem is. Managing the data and, and and figuring out a way to keep it secure because so far we have not figured out a way to do that. Um, but anyway, so it, the, what what this thing said is this: the smart app and could be used in cases to only reveal the information necessary for the transaction at hand. Like for instance, if you use it to buy beer, normally you show your ID that has your birthday it, that gives your age. But this app supposedly, eventually, when it's used for purposes like this, will just say, is this person old enough to buy beer? And it would just say, yes. So actually not giving away more information. And of course, your license may have your uh, address and all sorts of other information on it that would not be needed to buy beer, but it's there anyway. So I thought, I've. So one interesting aspect of this kind of a digital ID is this kind of this need to know thing, which is actually a big deal in privacy and security, right? You only share as much information as is necessary to do what you need to do. So what do you think about that? Is there potential here if we can work out, you know, the data privacy issues, are, does this sort of technology have benefits?
1: Well, again, so 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 the first thing I think about is compared to what? Compared to the plastic license, right? So the plastic license, in and of itself, has very limited information on it, right? So that's a very safe way, if you're protecting privacy, to uh, you know to protect it. Um, The next question I ask is, well, what exactly is relevant information? Right. Uh, So uh, on a on a on a digital driver's license, you know, maybe maybe the person uh, at the bar only wants to know your age. But what if they want to know if you live within a mile of the bar because they want to try to give you a discount to make you a more frequent customer? Now, that may not be information you think is relevant, but maybe the bar does and maybe they're willing to pay for it. Um, So. You know, again, you know, who who is gonna actually keep tabs on the security about about what is and is not being turned over and what you allow and what you don't? And that's the problem with with and again it's I think it's what you're kind of have been poking at with some of the other questions. When you add a profit motive <laughs> into a form of government identification, uh, especially when it's given away for free, it's not subject to, to, to contracts at the moment. You know, there, there is an incentive of the private company to figure out every way that they can monetize this right. information. Um, and again, you know, even if, for the sake of argument, um, you know, the, 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 the phone only reveals in that moment to the viewer in the interface, whether you're 21 or not, in order to, to make that verification, it has to make a secure connection to the larger database. In that moment, the question is, you know, let, let's say you're going in a bar, and you're doing it in a bar, and you're connected to the bar's public Wi-Fi, mm. and you're not using a VPN to protect your privacy. In that moment, have you inadvertently exposed yourself to hackers? Mm. Who can, who can get into that database and look for all sorts of other things. Again, you, you, I mean, you know a, lo- a lot of phones are, are set up where they say, you know, because I wanna save on my data plan if there's a public Wi-Fi connect to it. And so the person who may be a few sheets to the wind, depending on <laughs> what number of beer they're, beers they're buying, uh, they just go ahead, turn it over, and they may expose their data. And so again, and, and I think this is the critical point, it, it's a solution in search of a problem. You know, even the statements that they make, saying that that regular driver's license can be counterfeited, but this can't, is is right. is not accurate. Uh, you know, it's actually fairly hard and expensive to 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 uh, to copy modern driver's licenses with their you know holograms mm. and it's through picture windows and you know it's it's a pretty expensive proposition. Copying and, 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 and you know setting up a, a, a you know an app that can kind of mimic. Um. Uh. You know the, the the connection and what the driver's right. license looks like is not that hard. Yeah. Uh, and, and so so I so I question that. So again, you know, b- between the concepts of saying you know, what do you say? Only limited data will be passed off. Uh, you know, what is the limited data? Are you really certain that it's going to be limited in that instance? Who else will get access to it? Both again, either legally, contractually, or through hacking. And and as you start to explore it you see more and more risks. And I think that's the the 20,000 foot view question here. You know, anytime the government is thinking of rolling out a policy or a program, you first want to identify the problem that you're trying to solve. And then you want to weigh out the benefits and the risks of the alternative approach, right? And with digital driver's licenses, between the privacy, the battery running out, the lack of a connection, the exposure of your data, I mean, you have buckets and buckets of potential problems here. And a very meek problem that you're trying to actually solve for, which is what? The, again, overcoming the burden of carrying a half of an ounce plastic driver's license in your wallet. So it doesn't, Really make a whole lot of sense, and I think that you know my concern and an in, in ACLU concern here is the the state and the the maker of this app are very quick to kind of advertise its its upsides, right? Which I think literally one, if you have your phone, you have your driver's license. But there's not really any sort of equal discussion of here, however, the potential risks you would be encountering. Um, in getting a digital driver's license that have been pointed out by some others. If you wanna put the, the benefits and the risks in front of the public, again, I question whether it's something you wanna do in the first place, but at least they would be able to make an informed decision. Right now, these are being rolled out to a public that are only, it's, it's there, I would say rather than it being an option to the public, which they're being educated about, it feels a lot more like they're being marketed. And I don't think that that's a, that's a, that's a sound public policy approach.
0: And we're seeing that all over the place. So that, that, certainly, with the Internet of Things, that's the thing too. They're, they're, they're touting all the wonderful convenience features and, com, you know, conveniently not talking about the huge security and privacy risks that come along with those, especially on a lot of the cheaper devices that just really have no security built in. Right. Um, now, you did mention something I thought was interesting, is that is that the government isn't paying for it, so it's not subject to any funding things. I, I hadn't looked at it from that angle, but are you alluding to the fact that there are a lot of government policies that say you can't spend money on things like this, but if they're not spending money, those things don't apply?
1: Well, I mean, so that's a very good question. Again, it depends on an individual... You know, uh, a state, or I mean, one could see these being rolled out on a municipal level. I mean, places like New York City have municipal IDs, um, where uh, where the only kind of approval that has to occur for certain things is if there's funding connected to it. It's an interesting thing, you know, as an aside, why um, a lot of police departments use civil asset forfeiture funds mm, yeah. to buy surveillance technologies because they therefore don't have to run them through a right. budget approval process. So. It is again so I, I can't speak specifically to, to an individual state, county, municipality who uses the technology, but there may be some places where, um, you know, uh, and one would expect where DMVs are required by law to provide driver's licenses, but there's really no other kind of limits on that. I mean, maybe they say like has to contain a unique identifier, or has to have the person's address, or th- so there may be minimal requirements, but. Short of that, there's probably not much oversight on the way in which they provide the driver's licenses, um, yeah. because and because there's no funding, there would be no need to have to go back and request it.
0: And that's a constant push pull in this country between federal and states' rights things, where you know the states say, "Oh, we want to do things our own way. You can't tell us what to do," and the federal government says, "Well, yeah, okay, but at least we got to give you some guidelines." And I know that you know for, for election systems, for example, sure. um, you know things things like that. It's a constant thing. So. Does this lead, especially if we've got, a, you know, maybe a single, single third party doing this, and of course they want to, you know, probably eventually want to have reciprocity and make it work across state lines, you know, as a slippery slope, does this lead to a national ID? And, and the next question is, is, I know the ACLU, ACLU has opposed uh, a national ID system, which was particularly pushed after 9-11 as an anti-terrorism thing. Um, so talk a little bit about why the ACLU is against a national ID system.
1: Sure. So, so, so first, you know, first one thing that you said is, you know, may lead to reciprocity. It has to, right? Because, um, because you no, no state's going to issue a driver's license that only works in their state. Mm. Um, And there may actually be legal requirements. And and I honestly haven't looked into this, but there may be legal requirements through agreements between states that they actually have to adopt the technology in order to be able to access another state's driver's license. I mean, there may be, you know, if if, there, if the agreement is you have to accept our driver's license, we have to accept yours. If they go to digital, it's a fair question to say, do these other states have to adopt the technology, at least in a limited sense, to be able to read that state's driver's licenses? It's it's a good question. So the larger so the larger question with national ID, and again, it applies to kind of data, personal data gathering in general, is that uh, you know any time. Anyone uh, gathers an individual's personal data. There is, you know, there is a slight slip of privacy. Now, you know, there, there's 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 many uh, uh, cases where a consumer will decide that you know that the loss of privacy is worth it to them. I mean, maybe they, you know, I go, I, I go and do a lot of shopping at a at a Rite Aid drugstore across from my house, and I, I agree to let them track my purchases through a number because I get discounts on my purchases, and I'm fine with them knowing I buy toilet paper and toothpaste. <laughs> you know, I I've decided that in the big picture, right. that's a privacy risk that, that 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 I'm willing to allow. But um, but when people do give up, uh, their their privacy if I give it up to to Rite Aid, it's a limited amount of information in a limited pot. Uh, It's the same thing if you think about surveillance cameras in a city, right? If individual stores have, you know, one surveillance camera on their front door, um, that in and of itself is not as big a problem because it's just information that's available to that store or potentially the police on a store by store by store gathering basis. But if it's all tied into a centralized system, now you have the police able to watch an entire city through all of the public and private surveillance cameras. And that is very different. That's very Orwellian because mm-hmm. all the data is available to the police or to the government in one spot easy to access and instantaneous. Same thing with national ID, right? So so yes, states need to gather certain information on you and certain states are gonna gather different information, some of which may be connected to a driver's license, some may not. Some states may decide to marry their driver's license with other information for convenience. That in and of itself, there, there are privacy risks involved in doing that, but again, do we need driver's licenses? Yeah we, we, we kind of do need driver's licenses. So, so that's just a risk that we need to try to we need to try to mitigate the privacy risks and having a driver's license but we can't eliminate driver's licenses. But if you take the information from everyone in the country uh, and put it into one centralized database where it can not only be accessed presumably by all the state DMVs but by perhaps all state governments, all local governments, county governments, federal governments. Uh, th- then you start to see something that that has great risk for abuse because all of the information is centralized. And you know, you, you may have a situation where um you know a, a locality or a state wants to capture certain information. You know, you may have a state uh, that says uh, you know we want to capture on our driver's license uh, if you know if the uh, you know where where a person lives for example is a pretty popular thing uh you may also want to capture potentially you know if a person uh you know for example english isn't their first language uh you may want to say you know if an officer speaks spanish communicate in spanish mm. again you never know what what especially when you're talking about digitized driver's licenses, well, what you may want to connect in there that they may be viewed, viewed as helpful. That information can go to other government agencies who are, you know, who especially, you know, if you think about nowadays, we know for a fact that the federal government is trying to round up and deport every undocumented person they can identify. We know for a fact that we have a president in the White House who, who has incredible animus towards, uh, towards Muslims and, and, frankly, anyone who even hails from a, a country with, significant Muslim populations Mm -hmm. uh, and would love to identify that group of people. And so the the idea of dumping all of this information to a centralized national ID database uh, that can be used and abused fairly easily, I think creates uh, risks that are too high uh, for it to be the sort of thing that the ACLU would be supportive of.
0: Now there are at least one program I know of in, uh, worldwide that it's that that we might look at for you know, to see someone has actually implemented this kind of thing uh, and that is the India's adhar program I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but I'm not it's uh, been going on for like ten years now and they and I guess there's a lot of fraud with people trying to get government programs or whatever so the ba- and they've basically given everybody in the country. Uh, a digital ID there too. Do you know of any other places where the, where digital IDs, like nationwide IDs, have been done? And, and have we seen the kind of abuses that uh, that we were predicting, or is it somehow unique to the United States?
1: Yeah, well, so so I would I would say this, and again, I'm I'm not all that familiar with with kind of international uh, ID programs, but I, I would say two things that that one needs to think about when they're thinking about the United States, right? So so the first thing is is that you know we have a constitutional right to privacy. Um, not every country does. I don't know if India does, um, and so. Uh, so, so that is something that's kind of ingrained not only in our national rights as a matter of law, but also in kind of the fabric of our society, uh, that people have privacy rights. So that that's one thing to be considered. And another thing to be considered is, is actually the, the size and scope of the country. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if Macedonia were to develop a national ID system, I don't know what that would necessarily be otherwise replicating. Um, mm-hmm. But it, But in the United States... Uh, in our very large and kind of decentralized system of government, uh, which again has benefits that are kind of baked into our privacy formula, um, we would be really going counter to that uh, to come up with a national ID program. So I'm not 100 uh, uh, percent certain how instructive uh, the use of national IDs by, by other countries are. And of course, I should add that there, there are quite a few other countries uh, that uh, like China that don't seem to care one whit. Uh, about uh, about privacy and in fact you know are are using uh, nationwide ID to actually give social scores to people yeah. uh, to, to be able to determine if they get government benefits and other rights based on how loyal and quote-unquote good citizens they are so uh, so I would imagine for example that China has a national ID <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, so, the other thing that people trot out usually when you start talking about identification systems is biometrics. Uh, and that is, you know, a lot of people think this is somehow the holy grail of identification. You can't, you can't lose your face ID. You can't lose your fingerprints. They can't be stolen or forged, supposedly. What, so, talk to me a little bit about, you know, the ACL's uh, use position on using biometrics for identification.
1: Right, so it can be stolen or forged. That that's the first thing. Uh, you absolutely can steal or forge someone's biometrics. Um, you know, uh, Facebook, for example, uh, uh, integrates very strongly uh, face surveillance into their platform. Um, and, and they so they have the ability to you know, you know sometimes people use Facebook and they're like hey look I'm getting a notification I was in this other picture how do you think they do that it's 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 biometric face surveillance um, and so they have the ability to capture your face and then to, to use it without you actually providing them your face at the, at the same time if you think about fingerprints um, you know we have cameras that capture in ultra high definition now yeah. uh, you're walking down the street they can zoom in and grab your fingerprint so, uh, so I actually think that biometric identifiers are are actually worse and the reason why is that if they are stolen what are you gonna do right like change your face file your fingers right. so that, so that's my concern about biometric identifiers uh, in, in the first instance in that if they are ever stolen, Um, uh, that you're in real trouble. But I think there's another problem with with biometric identifiers uh, that I also, uh, and, and when I say I, I mean I and the ACLU find very problematic, which is if someone asks for your social security number, you need to proactively give it to them. If they ask for your driver's license, you need to proactively give it to them. With a lot of biometric identifiers, certainly your face uh, they have ones that are gate identifiers, yep. your walk, your fingerprints. In many instances, those can be taken from you without your permission. Right. And so if you're, the gateway to your information is an identifier, a biometric identifier that is very difficult for you to deny someone access to, then it's actually not the holy grail. It's actually a holy key to open the lock to your privacy that's given to others. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I do not think biometrics are, by by any stretch of the imagination, uh, anything other than a uh, a potentially useful, but also potentially far more problematic uh, uh, way of identifying individuals.
0: Yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've always had some interesting discussions about this when I talk with people, and and there's a, in particular there's a class at Duke I teach uh, uh, for uh, seniors that we talk about this, and one of the things I always bring up them is that. Well, first of all, you, they can't—you know—they can be stolen. I mean, if you look at any spy movie, how many people have had their eyes removed or fingers removed? Of course, that's not—you don't know, have to get that gruesome—but you can lift fingerprints, um, and sometimes facial IDs, older face, facial uh, identification things, were fooled by pictures or even three D models. And and yeah, talk about. Also,
1: I mean, another thing I would add—you know—on that note is that you know, uh, face surveillance is not is not the most accurate technology, and where it is inaccurate, it actually builds upon. existing biases within our system it tends to be last less accurate in identifying the faces of persons of color and women as well as young persons and elderly persons Um, but but i'm you know so the last thing you want to have done for example is to have a young black male who already is at significant risk of 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 an of a of an unwarranted encounter with law enforcement being falsely identified as having an outstanding warrant against them by facial recognition technology. But, but that happens a lot. You get a lot of false positives. Um, and so because they're, they it's again not good at identifying faces of color and faces of women. And so uh, again, it, you know, the idea of using an identifier that is not only not great and accurate, but also tends to have problems with certain races and ethnicities and groups of people over others, I, I think, raises an additional red flag.
0: Yep. And uh, the other one of the other issues I always bring up with this is that you can't, you kind of alluded to this, you can't change them. In other words, like you can, if you, you know, if you set up an account with some online site and you have a social media personality, for some reason you want to just start over. You could just create a new account, and you could be someone different. Or you could have multiple accounts if, you know, for different parts of, you know, aspects of your life. I do this. I've got a personal Twitter account, and I've got a business Twitter account. Um, the other aspect is you can't be anonymous anymore. Uh, okay. With biometrics, you are you. There's no, if that's what you're using to identify yourself, you, you've identified you the person, not just you the role you're playing or you the persona that you, you have on a, on a particular account.
1: That's right that's hundred percent right and and I, and I think that you know um, I, I think there are other examples of this that I think are far more important um, and, and, and one that 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 I become aware of over the years is, is it is not uncommon. Uh, for For persons who are who are questioning their sexual orientation, for example, mm. uh, to have multiple social media accounts, one for the the person, if you will, who they feel comfortable revealing to the world, and then the other for a smaller group uh, that, that perhaps that they want to be able to have you know, group interactions with, because it's a support group or a group for information, but may not want to necessarily share with the others, uh, and and I do know that there are certain platforms that are, at, including Facebook, that are interested in being like, hey, that person is there and there. Right. So, and, and And, you know, Facebook says it's to identify fraudulent accounts, which, by the way, may be true, but it also may not be a fraudulent account. Uh, and a person may end up being, you know, exposed or outed or, or whatever, uh, because people are using biometrics to, to link up accounts. So I think that, and it, and it, let, let's face it, there are certain places in the country where you know revealing your sexual orientation or revealing your religion or revealing your political perspectives can be outright dangerous. Uh and so uh so so in some cases you know you know like yourself having a personal business account is a matter of kind of convenience and for others it's a matter of necessity.
0: Yeah. So one, one other aspect of this I want to bring up before we move on to uh, uh, some other questions is uh, there's this new CLEAR program, uh, and it must stand for something because it's in all caps, so it's probably, it's probably some weird retronym, you know, where they come up with something cool that spells out CLEAR. Um, and that's I see it being used in TSA PreCheck, and now I just heard an article uh, or an advertisement for Hertz using it as well, so it must be some sort of a third-party thing, but it, um it It's basically what it allows you to do is to walk up to, you know, that's like at the next level of TSA pre check. Not only are you pre qualified, which I admit I've done, um, you know, I don't travel a lot, but it's sure nice to not just to skip those huge lines. Uh, but now you walk up and you just show your face and then you walk on board, uh, you, you walk through things. Um, so they're, the fingerprints too, I think they're getting fingerprints as well. Uh, the, this is kind of scary to me that there the were, you know, the, there's so many different ex- convenience excuses that we're using to give up. Our biometric information, you know, the stuff is all being stored somewhere. Now, supposedly they say they're safety act certified. I I had to look this up. This came from somewhere back in 2002 uh, from the Department of Homeland Security. I don't know if you're familiar with the program, but you know, they, they claim that this, it's all privacy protected, but man, I got to say, I'm worried when this stuff's all being collected somewhere and it's got access to uh, by who knows who.
1: Yeah, and again, you know, so with these, you know, I don't know what you want to call them, mobile immigration apps or, or, or whatever you want to, to put them in a category of, I, again, I, I, one of the things that jumps out at me, I think all of your points are completely valid and, and, and concerning, but an additional point, again, is that almost all of these apps um, need to be updated from time to time. And so, you get the, so the phone gives permission uh, to, to have the app be updated. Right, it automatically p- people put in it's okay to update the app for the updates for that sort of thing. So when you do that, you know v- you may download version 1.0 of this app, but version 2.0 may include location tracking in it, mm. and, and, and 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 or may enable them to to put spyware onto your phone. Like the, it is a significant vulnerability when you put an application on your phone that you then give permission to automatically install updates. Uh, and I think that, that that is the case with these mobile immigration apps. So, so yes, I think it, is, it, can, be, it can be problematic, um, the, the storing of this information. But for me, what scares me even more is that, that they create a gateway to far greater vulnerabilities. And I think, you know, let, let's be honest, you know, God forbid there's another you know, 9-11 or something along that scale. Um, the commitment to privacy with these applications can change in a heartbeat, yeah, and what was once you know their top concern was privacy suddenly becomes a secondary or tertiary concern, uh, and and I think that goes to your point about the storing the information.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, so I think on that particular point, certainly from a security perspective, and that's where security and privacy often diverge. And from a security perspective, it's almost always good to get the latest in, uh, version of something because they're patching bugs all the time. Right. Uh, what you're, what they, what you have to take along with that is, like you said, new quote unquote features that are added uh, that come along with those updates as well. And it's almost like we need to bifurcate these things and and have security updates versus feature updates. And, you know, I'd say I want security updates, but I want you to ask me on feature updates. And I think it's on Apple and and Google who uh, respectively own iOS and uh, Android. Um, and And they've started doing this with a lot of the apps where if the apps come in and they need or they request new permissions. They actually, at the time of the update, say, "Hey, this app would now like this permission for this in location." In your particular example, yes or no. Um, some apps don't work very well if you take if you say no, but at least they're starting right. to ask.
1: Right, and again, and I think that you know the the, the big picture consideration here is you don't want to look at the apps in isolation. You want to look at them relative to their alternatives. Um, and and if providing a passport or an ID. Uh, you know, is is better for protecting privacy then I think individuals may want to strongly consider. Uh, you know, sticking with traditional things and and you know, granted, you know, standing in those 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 uh, those TSA lines to get in can be soul sucking. Uh, but you know, but you know, and, and if anything, you know. And I'm not in, in any way suggesting this other than tongue in cheek, but you know maybe the government wants to slow down those lines a bit so they can uh, they can get these apps rolled out quicker. You know, uh, you know they can make that more and more unpleasant until everyone just reaches their points. It's fine. I'm I, you can see everything in my entire life. Just get me the heck out of this line. Um, yep. You know, uh, so so I think people really need to need to be very smart and, and thoughtful um, about uh, about what technology they let into their lives, what the benefits are. And I do think you're right. I mean, I think that there has to be and there should be, you know, a constant disclosure about what updates are being done. But I think more importantly, and I don't know if the government is the best to do this or if an independent third party is best to do this, uh, to, to be more forthcoming and educating the public about the benefits and drawbacks of of, of adopting new technologies. And again, as we, as we said earlier, right now, that discussion feels a lot more like marketing than education. They're more interested in rolling out the technology than informing the public so they can make, uh, you, you know, a, a, a measured and thoughtful and informed decision about whether or not they want to use a new technology. And I think that, and, and I think that to me is the bare minimum. In certain cases, and digital driver's licenses may fall into this category, the the, the drawbacks are, are so significant compared to the teeny benefits that it really shouldn't even be offered. Uh, but in some cases, maybe it's a closer call, in which case the minimum that has to be done is to make sure that the public is really well-informed. And again, in a way that is digestible, You know, the last thing I wanna do is suggest that they should forward them a 200-page document. Right. Uh, You know, why not just stick it in the end of the user agreement they have to sign, you know, that's not what we're talking about. So something that is that is straightforward, informed and digestible so people can make more informed decisions.
0: I yeah we're in violent agreement on that that is that is something I've talked about on the show many times is the, is, is the table stakes for all of these things is uh, you've got to have informed consent and that means that the user has to be informed of really what the, what they're doing and luckily we are starting to see a lot of third parties now that, that I've seen some websites and services even Consumer Reports now is getting in the game where uh, they are starting to do some independent ratings uh, on security and privacy aspects of, of uh, consumer uh software and consumer devices um because it's becoming it's becoming a thing and it's yeah, the and government's I think, not I think doing
1: That's hundred percent right and I and I think that you know my my advice to these companies is 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 make privacy your competitive advantage. Yeah. And I th- and I think we're seeing that. You know, I think Apple is certainly trying mm-hmm. to do that. I think that that we've seen recently with Microsoft's kind of Kind of hitting back at Amazon for selling face surveillance yeah. to governments. You know they're kind of they're kind of hitting back, and these are the big ones. But I think there's a lot of room for smaller uh, tech companies to to come in and 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 advertise as being the most privacy protective version of what's available in the marketplace. You know, I, and I, I think that's going to happen more and more. But I would like to see, you know, and, but again, that you know, that only works if you have an informed yep. uh, consumer base. And and I do think, by virtue of, of of you know the the inadvertent good deeds companies like Facebook are doing to make the public <laughs> far more knowledgeable about the risk to their privacy, I think the public is becoming more and more aware of the importance of their privacy. But I think they need to become more and more aware of where they're inadvertently giving up their privacy and where they have choices.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, A couple more questions here, and then then I'll let you go. Um, You can't talk about ID in this country without talking about uh, requiring voter uh, IDs for voting. Um, Certainly a lot of um, Republicans believe that this is, you know, we we need to require voting ID to prevent um, supposedly this mass voter fraud, uh, voter fraud. Um, of course, what we've seen, uh, <laughs> the there has really been no mass, certainly in-person voter fraud. Uh, there's been many studies on this, and they've shown that the the, the incidences of this are extremely low, um, because you know, in-person voter fraud, first of all, it is not terribly effective. It's hard for a single person to vote enough times to make a difference. Second, the penalties are are huge, so it's extremely high risk. Um, but what we did see in North Carolina, where I live, by the way, is uh, some some organization going out and scooping up a whole bunch of absentee ballots, either to not turn them in because they would vote for somebody they don't like, or per, perhaps even altering the votes to vote for something they did like, and which is, which ID would have nothing to do with. So, uh, but it's to- very
1: good, by the way, to say some organization that would be the <laughs> Republican Party. Uh, who are the ones who are claiming the voter fraud? But but go on, please.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I know I, I, I ACLU I'm sure has got some other positions on this, but there are a lot of other problems with requiring IDs. And, and so speak to me, speak to the audience a little bit about why? Because I, I know a lot of people ask me why is it such such a big deal? We you know we have an ID to the, the, I would always trot this out. We have an ID when we have to buy certain things, uh, alcohol and cigarettes. Why not? You know why should we not protect the most you know sacred institution which is voting? You know by just requiring something that's free that every you know why why can't we just do that?
1: Right. So, 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 so for one, um, I, I like the, the framing of the fact that voting is the most sacred institution. Cause I think that if it's not the most, it's certainly one of them. So, so if you don't have an ID and can't purchase beer, uh, while that may be a problem, I don't think you're talking about depriving someone of a sacred right. But if someone does not have an ID and cannot vote, Um, I think you are. And and I think we need to be very, very honest uh, about uh, one point that you raised, which is we do not have anything approximating a voter fraud problem in this country, except perhaps with with respect to one race in which either a intended agent or a rogue agent of the Republican candidate engaged in, in voter fraud. But other than that, we really don't. What voter ID programs actually are is an attempt to suppress voting amongst groups who are less likely to have IDs and those are persons of color and poor persons hmm. that is what voter ID is about it is it is again and it's it's interesting because it goes back to the thing with the with the driver's license right what is the problem what is the solution if you say the problem is voter fraud well then the immediate response is we don't have a voter fraud problem so Requiring people to have an ID, which may create problems for people who don't have IDs, really isn't necessary and doesn't really fit because there is no problem we're seeking to address. So why why create problems for certain classes of individuals who, who are less likely to have an ID? If, however, the problem is in this country we have just too darn many poor people and persons... <sighs> Are well, trying to vote. Well, now I understand the connection between the voter ID requirement uh, and what you're trying to achieve. And I think that's that's exactly what it is. And so our concern is that there are certain populations that are less likely to actually have identification. That voter fraud is not a widespread problem for all of the reasons that, that you you out, uh, outlined. And so again, it, you know, if If your voter ID requirement uh, is is being designed to uh, to stop voter fraud, then it doesn't make sense because we don't have a voter fraud problem. If your voter ID requirement uh, is is a program being rolled out in order to suppress votes from poor people and persons of color. Well, then that absolutely will work. And that's why the ACLU opposes it.
0: All right, one more question, and I always try to wrap up with some sort of a call to action, some sort of glimmer of hope, some <laughs> something to give the audience something to do. Uh, if if we've riled people up today, and 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 they're concerned about these issues, I'm sure the, the 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 folks of Louisiana were not pulled to find out whether or not they would like to have this photo app or, or this uh, ID app or not. It was just done by the government. So what is a, what's a person to do if they want to if they want to protect their privacy if they if they want to. Uh, stave off some of these efforts to digitize and centralize all of this identification stuff. What what might someone do to 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 further that cause?
1: Right. So, I mean, I think I think as, as we've hit throughout this conversation, in the most important thing is is to educate themselves. And to actually talk themselves through the same same steps that we did. Um, when someone offers you a, a new technology that may have privacy implications, the first thing you should ask yourself is is what what is the what is the benefit of me getting this technology? What is the improvement? So again, in the driver's license case, it would be that I don't have to carry a almost weightless plastic. <laughs> With me, um, you know. In other cases, it, it may be more more convenient. You know, uh, uh, you know. I'm not trying to, to mitigate. There's certain certain technologies that are very valuable. I mean, we're we're talking right now using Skype because it, it has an excellent audio feature to it, right? Mm-hmm. So Skype has both of our you know our IDs. They can they can know that we've been talking to each other today and for how long. Uh, but you know, in in a limited case, this is something where that that the benefits outweigh the drawbacks. But I think each individual person should not get enamored with the shiny new thing just because it's the shiny new thing they should ask themselves what i am trying to what is the benefit i'm trying to gain and what are the actual drawbacks Uh, and then you know you have to make individualized decisions for yourself but i would i would warn people that privacy is one of those things that most people don't care about until they do right Um, and i would greatly encourage people you know the number of people when I talk to them about privacy say, well, I have nothing to hide. Right. I say, really, (laughs) would you mind? Let's develop a website entitled information about you. Let's mention every book you read, where you sleep at night, what meetings you go to, what doctors you visit, what your medical information is. And and you tell me when we get the, you know, get to the point where you start to feel (laughs) like, right. And so I would, I would say to people that, you should have a red flag for your privacy, even if you don't necessarily see the direct immediate impact on you. Right. Uh, there, there should be a certain amount at which, uh, you know, if you will, uh, you know, if for someone who keeps a, a diary, you know, putting that diary on the Internet and suddenly you're, you're terrified, you're not terrified about keeping a diary. Right. Because you feel like the when you move that information out of your head and onto a page, you feel like that, that you've put a lot of data uh, uh, into a place, but it's a place that is very secure. The only people who have access to it is you. And so that's a safe place to move it. But then when we talk about taking that and putting it on the Internet, it feels very different. And when. People are able to kind of chop away at your privacy and put it in places you never see and build dossiers on who you are as a human being. It should start to wig you out a little bit. And I think people should should reflexively move themselves from a place where they don't care about privacy until they're scared to they do care about privacy until they've received Really powerful assurances that their privacy is going to be protected. They've got to flip that equation, and so I think that that's something that people can do for themselves. If you want to take a broader approach, like like you do, like the ACLU does, um, I think it is. I think it is valuable um, to talk to your elected officials, uh, to write op-eds in your local paper, and to to advocate for more unbiased information about the benefits and drawbacks of new technologies that gather people's data should be provided to the public when new programs are rolled out and when people uh, may, may decide to participate them in an easily readable form in advance of them making a decision. Any government official or any private company who balks at that, you should be very concerned. About. <laughs> Uh, and so it's a real good way of making a simple ask that really, you know, good government transparency should never get a no. And if it does, that should tell you a lot in and of itself.
0: Excellent point. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was a fascinating discussion. I was really looking forward to this because it, it's one of those topics that a lot of people just take for granted, but it's so, so, cru- so crucial today, especially as we digitize everything. So thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, hopefully we'll have you back again in the future.
1: I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me.
0: What fascinating information. I just, this stuff just boggles my mind. And it's just so good to talk with people who uh, who really have dug in deep and, and appreciate, you know, why just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should do something. And that's obviously the question that, you know, it, 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 that plagues modern science. You know, we've, we've come up with all these really cool things we could do uh, you know, but don't often stop and ask the question, is that something that we really want to do? Is that something we should be doing? Is that actually, you know, on the whole going to be better for better for society? So, uh, anyway, just fascinating. And thanks again, uh, for coming on the show and we'll definitely have to have him back in the future coming up next week. I'm going to have uh, a new year's Eve program for you. We'll talk a little bit about maybe some new res- new years resolutions you might want to make for next year. And, uh, of course there's, a, there's been so much news. There's lots of news to catch you up on. Uh, so we'll have plenty of things to talk about and for many of you I know, uh, this is Christmas Eve, and uh, so I hope you have a great Christmas and for everybody else just Happy Holidays and enjoy the season. Um, one one last plug: uh, I know a lot of people end up you know getting some Christmas money and go and buying things, so you know I have to recommend that you know, if you're going to do some shopping, maybe even for yourself after Christmas, check out the best and worst gift guide of 2018. It's on my website, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, lots of great information there on things that would be great to buy, things that would enhance your security and privacy, and things, you know, not so much. Things <laughs> things that um, you really need to be wary of. And one more thing before I end the show, and I, I don't do this often enough, I should say it more often, but I'm always open to feedback. Uh, if you know of somebody that would be a great person to interview for the show or a topic that you would like to have covered on the show, uh, I'm all ears. Uh, shoot me an email. You can reach me at uh, carry at FirewallsDon'tStopDragons.com. So it's simple as that. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, until next time, as always, be safe and don't get caught with your driver's chip.